Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Thank you, Jacob. And yeah, you got to watch out for those communion crackers. They will get you. They are salted. So, hey, so if you guys don't know Jacob, he, yeah, like he said, he's our student ministry leader. He's done an amazing job, and he stepped into something big this year. And I had a really, we, we met for lunch, I don't know, a week or so ago, and I just asked him, man, you've been a part of this church for five months now, and how's it been, and how do you feel? And I was just so encouraged by him and what he shared. He grew up at the Fellowship, which is a church in a great church in Round Rock that's down the road, and he was there from as a fifth or sixth grader all the way through high school, and he interned for him in student ministry, and so really this is his first time to step out of the church and the family that he knew for, for years, for, for most of his life, and to step into something new. And so um, I just thank you, Jacob, for leading our students, and you've done an amazing job of stepping in. So he's, I know he said to pray for them, but man, y'all pray for him. And pray for our disciple now and what he's done. He's done an amazing job of getting that set up. And one of our core values here at Vessel is unity. And that, that means a lot of different things. And one of the things it means is that we value the next generation. What, what's happening right now in Vessel Kids is as important as what's happening here in this gym on Sunday mornings. That's not secondary. That's not babysitting. That's not an afterthought. That is as important as what's happening here. And the same thing is true about Sunday nights, that what happens on Sunday nights with our student ministry is as important as here. So if you want to know how to get involved or you want to know more information, I mean, just grab Jacob and ask him what you can do and how you can participate. And if you want to know him, know him, right? Like somebody say, hey, let me take you and your fiance out to lunch today. And let him pick the restaurant. And you should pick somewhere like Paul Martin's in the domain. They've got great steak. Or y'all should pick the uh, Salt Traders is really good. So anyways, I just want to say thank you, Jacob. And you guys should get to know him. He does an amazing job of leading our students. Amen. Well, good morning and thank y'all for being here. Uh, like Jacob said, um, I, I really appreciate y'all coming this morning and joining us for worship. It is always an honor and a privilege and a joy to, to gather together with you in this room. And I, uh, Gary gives me a hard time because I love our load in, load out, set up and tear down. I get here at 7 a.m. and I just like it for the, or 7.30. So for the next however many hours, I just get excited about worship and about this morning. So um, I pray and hope that you feel the same as well. So this morning we are starting a, a new series, a uh, new sermon series that's going to go on for the course of five weeks. Uh, starting today, and the, the series title is called Witness, um, and we, I, I, it's, a, it's a word study, and I'll tell you what that means in a minute, but, but we met, uh, I met with Joe and Reed and Shay, and we talked about this message, and I said, what is a really clever title? We're going to be talking about the word witness. What should we call it? And they're like, just witness, right? Like, it's as simple as that. So, that's all it is. And what we mean by a word study is this is going to look, the, the, over the next month or so, this is going to look different than what we normally do. Typically, what we've done in the past is either we studied a book through of, a, of the Bible and walked through it, or we've talked about a theme. And so, what a word study means is, all it means is that we're going to focus on the word and the idea and the biblical concept 
of the word witness. And it is going to be really, um, it's going to be really exciting and really good. And another thing that we're doing is we are kind of team teaching this series and we're doing a collaborative uh, kind of collective teaching over uh, this word study series on witness. And if you were here in the fall, this fall, we did the same thing with the book of John. We taught on uh, 12 weeks on the book of John that we walked through in this kind of idea of come and see. And we did the same thing. And it's important that you understand and know what that means because it really is important to, to me and it's important to us. And it really speaks to our identity of being a collective where it's not just one person doing one thing. And so what it means is that we have a teaching team of four people. So it is myself, it's Reed Langhennig, it's Joe Ho, and it's my wife, Shay Toman. And so we're going to be teaching through kind of collaboratively together, and each week someone different is going to teach for the series. But it doesn't mean we just say, hey, you give your thought on what it means to be a witness, and you give your thought. But we, we meet together, we planned out, we, we listened through, did some studying, and trying to walk through in the idea of what does it really mean to be a witness, and what do we really feel like the Lord is wanting to do in and through this study for our church? And so we met together, and then every week, whoever is the teaching that Sunday, they have someone that they collaborate with and work together with. Um, and so this week, the person that I worked with for this morning's message was Reed. And so he is my collaborator this Sunday. And so we met this week. I sent him my scripture ahead of time. I kind of gave him some general thoughts about what I was thinking and where we were going. And he prayed for me, he did research, and then we sat down and talked, and it was great. I could just bounce ideas off of him, talk through stuff. And so, although I'm the one that's delivering this message this morning, I want you to know it's, it's a collaborative and collective effort between he and myself and Shay and Joe. And I know, I don't know if that feels like a big deal to you, but I want you to know that it is. It is a big deal, because it means that we value each other and it means that, uh, especially for Joe and Shay and Reed, um, this is, it, it takes a lot of time, effort, energy, and prayer that they're putting into this as a volunteer. So, um, and then they're giving of their time and, and to, to get ready and to prepare a message and to come and to try to bear your heart for that and try to allow the Lord to speak through that. That is, I don't mean a burdensome thing. That's not a burdensome thing, but it, it's a committed thing. So uh, that's really important. We're going to talk more about that. But that's kind of what we're going to be doing. And so that the idea of witnessing, and so if you've grown up in church or not grown up in church or you have any context with Christian culture, um, raise your hand if you have any, like when I say witnessing, being a witness, that you have some sort of idea in your mind about what that looks like. Yes. Okay. Most people, probably even if you didn't raise, or raise your hand, even if you weren't raised in church, you have some sort of experience. And a lot of those can be rather negative experiences. Maybe you've had someone that rides a bicycle and a backpack and a tie and a white shirt and black slacks has come to witness to you at your house um, and given you, um, given you something. Or maybe you did that as a kid. Maybe you grew up in youth group and, it's, and like being a witness is kind of, for some reason, churches think of it as kind of a youth-centered thing. Like we're going to take the youth and we're going to go witness and we're going to go door to door and knocking, knocking on people's door and telling them about Jesus. Or we're going to hand out tracts. Has anyone ever handed out a tract before? Yeah, look at those. Okay, so I handed out tracts. I handed out tracts 
less than a year ago. I went on a mission trip to uh, Peru, and we were doing ministry there, and uh, we had a day, and they, they decided we should go and hand out tracts today. It had been a long time since I've done that, but I went and handed out tracts. And somehow it's easier if there's a language barrier. Like, because there was a language barrier, somehow that made that easier for me to do. Or maybe you know um, the Roman road. Does anybody know the Roman road? No? No one? Gary, thank you. I'm not, Martha Robinson, don't be ashamed. So you know the Roman road, and the Roman road is these little pieces of Scripture throughout the book of Romans that basically tells someone that they're a sinner, tells them that they're going to hell, tells them that they can't do anything about it, tells them that Jesus did something about it, and tells them that now they have a way because of what Jesus did, right? It talks about, you're, you know, you're a sinner, and all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? God, God loved you first, even as you were a sinner. He gave his life. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, right? All, the, all that's the Roman road. And you hear this rhetoric, and so all those things, we put witnessing in that box. Like, that's the box that we consider to be witnessing, and so this morning, a little, what, what, what this morning is about is giving us a, a good, healthy, foundational, biblical starting place for what the next, the course of the next month is going to look like. And so because I believe that a lot of that, not that it's bad to tell people what it says in the book of Romans, not that it's bad to go door to door and tell people that Jesus loves them, but I don't believe that that's witnessing. I believe it's something that's really overcomplicated and comes with a lot of baggage. And so this morning, my heart, my prayer, my hope is that we're going to undo some of that. And we're going to set our feet on a place that we can begin from healthily going forward, like a jumping off point of sorts. And so that as we journey um, throughout Scripture of the course of the next month, we're going to have um, a good, healthy place to go. So uh, we're going to start this morning. I'm going uh, to read our scripture. So what I would love for you to do is if you're able, if you would stand, I'm going to read our scripture. It's from Acts chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen, and then I'm going to pray over us, and we'll jump in. So Acts chapter 1, verse 6 says this. It says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Dear Lord, I thank you for who you made us to be, God, forgive us when we, um, when we bring our own baggage, our own fears um, of what being a witness looks like, or really anything in, in Scripture, Jesus. I pray that right now during this time that, that you just give us a clear direction, a clear, healthy, biblical understanding of what it means to be a witness, Jesus. Uh, Help us to be able to shed and lay down anything that that may be negative associated with that. And let us just just clear our hearts for you to be able to set in us through your word what it truly means to be a witness of Jesus Christ. I thank you for this morning. I pray that you speak boldly through me and through your word and in our hearts, God, and and that we are changed and we are transformed. Pray these things um, in your name. Amen. So um, this, the, the... 
what, what, one of the interesting things that we started looking at when we walked into this, this witness series is it's a common theme that you're going to see throughout Scripture. And so this idea of being a witness isn't anything new. It's not something that the evangelical church created. You can see there, Acts chapter 1, the beginning of the church, the Acts is the birth of the church. You see that Jesus calls us to be witnesses. And, and it, is, it is after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, as the disciples are waiting, anticipating for what is next. They've been on this journey with Jesus for three years that ended with him on the cross, that ended with him uh, being raised again from the dead. The stone was rolled away. And, and, and they're, they're now asking themselves the question, what is next? And so Jesus visits them. He comes to them and he visits with them. And they ask him this question. They said, are you going to, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, we, you, okay, everything happened. You did it all. You made man free. You made a way where there was no way. Your blood was poured out. The sacrifice, all of Isaiah and, and the Psalms, all the prophecies were fulfilled. Now you're going to make it right. right? Like the, the, the world is going to be perfect and, and now's the time. When are you going to do this? Like, we did all this. We won this journey for you. When is the time? And Jesus tells them, he says, uh, you know, he says to them, it's not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And a little sidebar. So if anyone ever tells you when the end of the earth is or when Jesus is returning, you just point to Acts chapter 1 verse 7. says, it's not for you to know. It's like a thief in the night is what scripture says. So when someone tells you, oh, you know, on March 8th of 2020, you know, if you take this verse and you unscramble the letters, it says the world's going to end, right? Just don't believe them. And don't argue with them. Just say, oh, wow, cool. So, but that's not true. And then he tells them. He says two things. He says a couple things. He says, you will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And so as we start, there's two words here that I think are really important and crucial for us to understand. And so we're first going to do some definitions uh, out of this verse, in this, uh, verse 8. So the first word is he says that you will receive power. So the first word that's important for under, us to understand is the word power. And it's uh, in, the, in the Greek there, you can see it, it's dunamis is the word, dunamis. And, and it's the same place that we get the word dynamite, right? That makes sense. You can see that. It's the same, the same word that we get dynamite from. It's the same word that we get dynamic from. So, so and you think about power, and I think a, a stick of dynamite embodies that well, right? The, it, a stick of dynamite has power. Someone who's very, a dynamic person or a dynamic situation. Um, but it's not as simple as that. And, and obviously, when they wrote Scripture, dynamite didn't exist. So it wasn't that, you know, that we created that from that. But the, the definition of dunamis literally means strength, power, ability. And so I've put a few different definitions uh, on here. If you'll go ahead, Lindsay, and put those definitions up. Um, these are, these are kind of how, if you look at this word in the Greek, these are kind of the various definitions from this. The first says that it's an inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. It's, it's literally saying the power that, that dwells within you. And Jesus says that, 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 as we know in Scripture, it says that when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, that his power, the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so it's literally that residing power that before Jesus you did not have, before faith in Christ that you did not have, 
that did not exist, that wasn't there, that you receive Christ and that power dwells in you. And scripture says that every one of us has it. And whether, whether you feel it, whether it feels like a stick of dynamite or it feels like a whimper of a, I don't know, a week. You know, what are those poppers you throw on the ground? Like pop, maybe it feels like that, right? But, but it's there and it dwells inside of you. The second definition it says is that it's, um, it's the power for performing miracles is a second way it's defined. It's the power of performing miracles. That 124 times in the New Testament, this word is used. And it's often used in the New Testament to point to powers and miraculous signs and wonders, uh, miracles that the Lord performs, miracles that are performed through the church in Acts. Um, Acts 19 says this. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. This is after Paul's conversion on the, the road to Damascus, is that he's converted, and now God is doing extraordinary miracles through him. That miracles word is the word dunamis. It's the same word. It's, it's this idea of miraculous power. And we believe that. We believe that God is not a, not a past God of miracles. He's a current God of miracles. That he is the creator of the heavens and earth. He can do anything. We pray and we seek him to do the miraculous in our lives. The third definition is the power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth. And if you know, we talk a lot about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom. And then even in our mission statement, we say, you know, our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for his purpose and his kingdom. And the scriptures in, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about us being uh, ambassadors for Christ. It's this, it's this riches and this wealth. It's, it's the power that, uh, that the president of the United States walking into this room would have by title, right? It's the power that, that if a king or a prince or a dignitary walked into this room, that they would, they would demand because of their position and their power and their name, right? It's that same word. Uh, the last definition has this power and resources arising from numbers, right? Like that's us gathered. Like if we, we are, we are something by ourselves, but when we are together, we are powerful. Where two or more are gathered in his name, I am in their midst. And that, that when we gather together and we put ourselves together, that what happens here is powerful. And if that is vessel and that is our church, we believe we come in this room and not just in this room on Sunday mornings, we come into relationship with one another and God does miraculous and powerful things in and through our body, that we are, we are standing right now on kingdom ground, right? That that is what power it is. And so it's important that you know that Jesus says, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So it starts, the idea of being a witness comes from that power, that you will first receive that power. So I hope that gives you some sort of clarity first and foremost about what it looks like to have power. The second word uh, that's important to define and that really the focus of this word study of the course in the next month is the word witness. And so uh, witness, a witness is the, the, in, the, in the Greek is the word martus, right? Martus. Uh, the definitions, Lindsay, if you go ahead and put those up. And so this is important for you to know, right? If it's a word study, if we're doing a word study, and we focus on one word, that's the word, martus. So you should write that down. And so the, the, the way that it's defined is, um, is like its literal definition is a witness. Like there's no mincing words. Like 
Mar- witness, martus, martus, a witness. That's all it is. It's very simple. Uh, and the, the definitions underneath that say, first of all, in a legal sense, that a witness in a legal sense, and this probably makes the most sense for us and helps us to understand this word as we think about being a witness. Has anyone ever been a witness in a case or on trial as a witness? Wow, Bo McKinney, that's impressive. So it's, it's you know, you, you go and you sit, you go as, and you, are, you bear witness to what you've seen, right? And even now they make you put your hand on a Bible and, and, it, and they tell you to, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's the line, right? Or at least that's what it is in movies. Do they still make people put their hand on a Bible? No? Okay, well, sounds better that way. But in a legal sense, and this, this makes sense for us, and so we can think about what it means a witness. So if you walk out of here at church Sunday morning and you get out of here and, and there's an accident, there's a terrible accident out here on Mays, and, and police are there, and they ask you to come and be a witness. There's some sort of dispute. What do you do? You tell what you saw. You, you don't judge the people. You don't tell your thoughts about the different cars or whatever. You just say, this is what happened. And they ask you questions, and you bear the truth. You bear the truth. And that, that is in a legal sense, and that makes a lot of sense for us. And this is an ancient concept like if you look through scripture, you see that, that this idea of being a witness isn't something new, that this goes back thousands of years before Jesus Christ, that the power of a witness can make or break a trial, right? Someone that says, I, I was there and I saw it and this is what happened. And then they bring another witness to corroborate their story. And you get two people that witness what happens. You can say, I'm innocent until you're blue in the face, if you've got two people in the witness stand, that holds weight. That holds weight and that holds power. The second definition is in a historical sense, a witness in a historical sense. So literally one who is a spectator of anything, i.e. a contest. So in 2006, I witnessed the Longhorns win a national championship, right? No Aggie can ever say that. They've never witnessed it. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I would love for that to be different, but I witnessed it. I saw it, right? Let's play that clip. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But the idea of witnessing something, right? I saw it happen. I saw what it was. I was a witness to it. If you, if you, if you were, I went, when I was in high school, I went to the inauguration of George, George Bush as president, and I stood in the back and I witnessed, kind of, I was like, felt like a mile away. I witnessed his inauguration. And so it's like, I was there and I witnessed. If you remember when LeBron James signed with Miami, this was years ago, that he had this big thing as witness. I'm a witness. And who witnessed it happening? The third definition they have is in an ethical sense. And the definition under that, which isn't here, says this. It says, those who after his example have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Violent death. It's literally where we get the word martyr. That is a martyr. Is it to be a martyr is to give your life as a witness for Jesus Christ. Aren't y'all excited about this word study? Right? Here we go. So that is what a witness and being a martyr is and a martus. And so I just think those two words are important as we go into this, is those are kind of, that, that Acts 1-8 is our key verse. 
that, that says, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So those are really important for us to understand. So, so our goals for this series, I know this doesn't feel like a, a really sermony sermon, but this is really supposed to be a, a setting off point and kind of setting our feet and the direction we're going. And so I'm just going to tell you straight up, here are the goals. And we talked about this with our, our team and what do we want to see happen and not to what do we want, what do we feel like God wants to do in and through this series. And so um, the first thing, the first kind of goal is the goal of conviction, this goal of conviction. Again, aren't you glad you're at church, right? And so I think in being a part of a church and being a Christ follower, there's a lot of things uh, that we should do. There's a lot of things we should do, and I can tell you what those things are, right? I think you should serve. I think that you should serve your church. I believe that Scripture talks about every one of us has spiritual gifts I believe he gives those as Christ apportions it. Every one of us are different, how we're gifted differently, and those gifts are not for you to use. It's for, the, it's for the bride. It's for the church. So I believe that you should serve. I believe that Scripture says that you should do those things, right? But you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to serve. I think that you should, right? I believe that you should tithe. I believe that scripture is clear on saying that you should give of your resources, that that God loves a cheerful giver, that God puts it in your heart, that God wants to provide for his church and his bride through us giving and being generous and seeing ourselves as stewards of every single thing we have. But you don't have to, right? You don't have to give. You don't have to tithe. I think that you uh, you should seek discipleship in your life. We have small groups. We have vessel groups. I think they're so important. I think that that, I believe that that's how growth happens. I believe that true growth in you becoming and following Jesus Christ and growing in your relationship with him doesn't just happen in here on Sunday morning. I think this is important, but where discipleship really happens is in homes, is across the table for someone, is in relationship. And I believe that we're called into community to one another, with one another so that we can grow in Christ. And I think that you should do that, but you don't have to. You can come. You can, you can be here. Those are things that, that I think you should do. But to be a witness, I do not believe that you have a choice. I don't believe that you have a choice. The scripture says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses you will be my witnesses. And the verb mood or verb tense there, it is, uh, it's indicative rather than imperative. Imperative means that you should. You should do this. It's a commandment. God's saying, do these things. God's saying, you should be, you should get into a discipleship relationship. You should give, you should serve. You're commanded to do those things. That is not what this is saying. This is a statement of fact rather than a suggestion or a commandment, that you are a witness. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a witness and you have no choice. Do you understand that the, the conviction that's there? And so the question is really, um, what kind of witness are you? If you're truly a witness for Christ and we believe the words of Jesus and we believe that he's saying that's what we are, then really the question is, what kind of witness are you for him? So that, that's the conviction piece is 
being convicted by that, not in a negative way, but saying, okay, like I understand, I get this. Uh, the, the next kind of goal of this series is for understanding, understanding. So in my small group right now, we're going through the book of, uh, of Philippians. And what, one thing we talked about this week is your mind and how important your mind is when it comes to uh, growing in your faith and, and knowing Jesus Christ. And um, Philippians chapter two talks a lot about the mind. It's, it's, it says that we are to be of one mind. It says that we are to have the mind of Christ. If you know scripture, you know Romans 12 says that it's that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? And, and minds and what that means. And so, um, but it's not always what we think. We think a lot of times that when we think and the transformation by the renewing of our minds means that we are to become more intelligent and more knowledgeable, which is good. And I'm not knocking that, but it's not, what Jesus is saying here, what Scripture is saying is that us understanding and being transformed by the renewing of our minds isn't just so that we can be a better theologian, isn't so that we can understand Scripture better, even though we're talking a lot about that, but it's really so that we know Jesus better. Ephesians 1.17 says that, uh, I keep asking that the God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelations so that you can know him better. And so to understand things biblically is not so that we're smarter. It's not so that we're a better theologian or we have a, a sharper grasp on our theology. Those things are okay and good, but really the spirit of that is so that we know Jesus more intimately. And so understanding is really important. And so to understand this word witness biblically is important is that, that, we, that whatever misconception or whatever, whatever under, misunderstanding we have, that to really understand what a witness is biblically is really important. As Reed, Reed and I met this week, and uh, you know, he did some legwork in the research, and realizing that the word witness is, is in the Old and New Testament is almost 200 times in Scripture that the first time the word witness is mentioned is Genesis, and the last time the word witness is mentioned is in Revelation that truly to be a witness and this idea and concept of witnessing, it is a thread that, that goes throughout Scripture. It is from front to back. It is, from, it, is, it is in Genesis all the way beyond us to Revelation. That is this common theme. And you're going to see that next week. As Reed teaches, he's laying out a bit of a timeline between Moses to Jesus and how uh, this, this idea of being a witness is carried on through Moses and God calls him to it and God's people and Jesus Christ and the disciples and on is, is to be a witness is a thread that runs through the entirety of Scripture. So our hope and our goal is that we're, we have a better understanding biblically of what a witness is. And so I think that uh, I want to point out some things this morning, uh, and I mentioned up front, but there are things that wouldn't be in a witness is not. So for us to truly understand biblically what it is, I think it's important that we know what it's not. First of all, being a witness is not having a sound argument, right? It's not being able to argue really well. Scripture does talk about arguing, but you might not like it. 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24 says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. The book of Proverbs talks about if you, if you are someone that engages in arguments, the book of Proverbs calls you a fool. It calls you a fool. 
And so, I, and, and, and don't get me wrong, have apologetics, and apologetics is this idea of, of is, a, is having a reasoned and a compelling argument to explain your theology. And that's, that's different. But what I mean is by witnessing is not going out to argue someone into Jesus Christ and having a good, sound argument so if someone questions my faith, I can argue to them and I can tell them these things. And so feel free of that. Feel free of that. Is that you don't have to argue with someone. You know, it's, things have changed. And we live in 2020. And the idea in Austin, Texas, if you say the words, if you begin a sentence with, well, the Bible says dot, 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 that doesn't hold the weight that it held 20 years ago. It's not the same. It doesn't hold the same weight. And we go in and we think about witnessing. It's like, oh, I'm going to tell them the Bible says this and the Bible says that. And it's true. And scripture is true. But to someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ, what do they care? You say, well, the Bible says this. And I think, and so what? I don't believe what the Bible says. And so being a witness is much less about saying what the Bible says and being able to say, this is who Jesus Christ is to me. This is what he's done in my life. This is who he is to me personally. And you want to say a more powerful statement. You can say, well, the Bible says, or you can say, man, Jesus has done this for me. And you take Christians and you ask them, out of what, out of the, what words have come out of their mouth more? And I guarantee you it's, well, the Bible says this. Well, the Bible says that. Well, the Bible says this. Man, tell me what Jesus Christ has done for you. The second thing that is not, it's not just winning an argument or having a good sound argument, but it's also not being an expert. You don't have to be an expert. So in this room, like quick poll, who feels completely 100% capable of being a good witness and I know how to go out and I can go out witnessing? Who feels completely capable and comfortable doing that? Laura, Missy, there we go. We got some, right? But most of us don't feel that way. We think, well, I'm not smart enough. I don't know scripture enough. Amen. Laura, here, come up here. I'm going to give you the microphone and let you preach. But you're right. It's about being real. It's not about having, being an expert. You don't have to know scripture and every line of every verse and be able to explain. At what point, at what point did the words I don't know, and the answer, I don't know, not be okay. It's okay not to know. If someone asks you a question about Scripture or the Bible or whatever, well, tell me about this. It's okay to say, I don't know. I really don't know that. But I can tell you this, is this is what Jesus Christ has done for me. And they can say whatever they want, but you don't have to defend your faith. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 19 says this, it says, there, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure to this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, that clock is throwing me off. Um, verse 20 says, teaching the new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Literally, if God has given you one thing, just use that. The Great Commission, if God has given you one thing, if he, if he has shown you that there's hope in Jesus Christ and that's all he's given you, then you take that and give that to someone else. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be an expert. And the last thing is, the, the third thing that, uh, that being a witness is not, being a witness is not convincing someone. So it's not having a sound argument. 
It's not being an expert on the Bible, and it's not convincing someone into relationship with Jesus Christ. And we could say here, like, we could ask anyone who, who calls himself a Christ follower, say, man, why are you, why, why do you, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? Nobody's testimony is ever, well, someone gave me this really strong argument, and I just couldn't. So I was like, well, I guess you got all the proof there, so I'm going to believe. No, who's ever heard a testimony like that? You don't have to convince anyone. Be free of that. Be free of that. You know, one thing that going into ministry is I never feel like a pastor. And if people tell me what I feel like, I really feel like I'm an evangelist. That's my heart. As I feel and I see myself and my gifting much more as an evangelist. And so uh, I embrace that. And really what I see being evangelist is it's just loving people that don't know God, period without any agenda, without trying to hope or convince them into it. I had someone ask me recently there, or, you know, they said, how do you, like as an evangelist, how do you, how do you walk someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ? How do you lead someone to Christ? I'm like, I don't know. Like, well, yeah, like how, you know, you're an evangelist. Like, how did you lead someone to Christ? I was like, I've never done that. Like, I've never led someone to Christ. I'm like, well, I think you, I thought you were an evangelist. I'm like, I don't see it the same. Like, when have I sat down with someone and said, you know, walk through the Roman road and convince them into Jesus Christ? Man, thank God, literally, that he does that and not us. And so it's not about convincing someone. It's about loving people and finding people that are around you. And so I I have a neighbor um, that about a week or two ago, I was praying for my neighbor. I was sitting in my front, front office. It was Monday morning. I'm praying for my neighbor. I'm praying for him by name. I journal. I'm writing his name now. I'm like, oh, thank you. And he doesn't know the Lord. I'm just praying for him. I'm praying for him by name. I'm praying for him. And all of a sudden, I get this knock at my door. I go over, and it's my neighbor. I'm like, all right, right? Like, I, I didn't see him outside. And so I'm like, okay, Lord. So I open the door, and, and this guy tells me that, on December 23rd, he lost his dad unexpectedly. And this was January 19th. He said, I just got a call that my mom passed away. In less than a month, he loses both his parents. Man, how heartbreaking is that? I mean, who, I mean, how broken is our world? And now here he is, and in both parents, he loses them unexpectedly. So am I going to go, well, hold on a minute. I have a tract here for you. You know, let me give this to you and hand you out the Roman road. And I want to be a witness to you. So do you know that you're a sinner? And I mean, no, I just hugged him. I said, oh man, Jay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about that. That's awful. That's terrible. And so then we, we got together, you know, like this week, he and I got together and I texted him and followed up. He says, do you have time? I said, yeah, anytime. I said, you name it. And so we got together and we went and we sat down together and he just poured his heart out. He poured his heart out. And he didn't need me to have all the answers. He didn't need to convince him to follow Jesus Christ. He needed me just to love him. Love your neighbor. Literally, he's my neighbor as yourself, period, end of sentence, no equivocation, no agenda, right? And so I I want you to feel free that you've got to convince anyone. Jesus loves them more than you ever could. And Jesus is working in ways that you could never know, dream, imagine. Just be there. Just bear witness to them about who Jesus Christ is for you. Don't worry about convincing them. 
Don't worry about getting someone to walk down the aisle on a Sunday morning so that we have this confession. And those things happen. Just allow God to do it. Allow God to do it. And so the third thing, so those are things that witnessing is not. So the third, our, our third, I know this is weird because we did three things. We're going back to another third thing. This third thing is our, our third goal of this series. And the third goal of this series is practicality. Practicality. So we want conviction, clearly. We want understanding of what it truly means biblically to be a witness. And then we want practically what it means to go and do that in our lives. And James chapter 1, verse 22, if you were here last Sunday, we said this, we talked about the same verse. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Just do what it says. And so our, our other goal is to walk away and know practically what does it mean and how can I bear witness in my life? How can I do that with someone? And so those are our goals. And I want you to know that going in. I hope and pray that that's the goal for you as well, that those are the goals so that we can go out and we can have a better understanding of what it looks like to be a witness. So as as we close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and they're going to close us. I'm going to read some scripture. And I love, this is a piece of scripture I love from Joshua chapter four. And it's the same idea of bearing witness. And I hope that in the spirit of this morning, as we move forward, this gives you peace about it um, as a whole. And it says this, Joshua chapter four, it says, uh, and they, this is God's people and he's led his people finally into the promised land after wandering around the desert for 40 years, after God freeing them and, and giving them freedom from uh, slavery, he finally leads them to the promised land what God promised to do. And so he leads them in the promised land and they're crossing the Jordan into the promised land. And verse one says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stayed tonight. So Joshua called together 12 men he appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now I want you to know that all we are is we are just stones. That's all that our lives are, is that we are stones. And if you go back, Lindsay, will you show the little image of our, the sermon series that says witness? And that is why we chose these rocks and these stones as we were planning this, is I want you to find peace and I want you to find comfort and solace knowing that we are nothing but a collection of stones. And it's the only reason that we're still here on this earth. If we have eternal life, if you know Jesus Christ and you, you have eternal life now, not at the end of your life, not upon the doors of the, the, when you die, that you have eternal life now. And the only reason you're still here is that you are a stone, is that you are a remembrance, you're a witness to what and who God is. And you're a stone that has been set apart 
that the Lord told Joshua to take up the stones and the Lord told him where they should be set down and the Lord told them what the stones mean. That where you are in your life, how you're made, what you're doing with your life, the school that you go to, the family that you're in, the neighborhood and the street that you live on, you've been set and placed and appointed there by God himself. And so have peace and solace knowing that there's somebody in your life that needs to see the stone witness that you are. Not convincing someone, not knowing every answer of the Bible, but just bearing witness of who Jesus Christ is, is that you've been placed where you are. Is that we are all stones set apart from the Lord as witnesses. And that is all that we are. And so I pray that as we move forward into this, that we take hold of that. We have a clear picture of what that means. So if you would stand, we're going to close out. I'm going to pray. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.